I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to explain the Christmas story? I, I kind of was thinking this week of, of the, that time when Danielle was little and, and I'd sit her on my knee and I'd begin to explain to her what Christmas uh, was really all about. And we kind of did that every year with her. Uh, but it gets a little tough in this day and age, in this culture, uh, to explain Christmas because it's kind of got hijacked by all kinds of other things. Uh, it's got hijacked by Santa Claus. It's got hijacked by, you know, gifts. It's got hijacked by all the tinsel and the fancy stuff and the lights and the smoke and the mirror and all the things that Christmas has uh, uh, been hijacked by. And sometimes explaining that Christmas story gets difficult to us, especially for a little child. I remember the Sunday school teacher was explaining the, the Christmas story in her class. And when uh, she got to the part near the end, uh, little Johnny looked up and he said, so what you're saying is it's Jesus's birthday, but we get presents. And the teacher said, well, yeah, I guess that's kind of how it works out. And he said, man, I love this religion. <laughs> and I think it's all well and good, but I think sometimes we got to see past the tinsel. And we have to be reminded that it is about a story about Bethlehem. There's a verse, I believe, that kind of just sums up the real meaning of Christmas. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. It kind of sums up in one verse, tucked away in a forgotten corner of the New Testament, uh, a verse that just kind of sums up and summarizes Christmas. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And that sentence right there sums up the gospel truth about the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want us to take that verse and kind of break it down. I want to give to you just a simple message today, the ABCs of Christmas, just a real simple message for you to be able to, to wrap your mind around the Christmas story. A, which represents he was rich, the first part of that passage. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, say rich, anybody rich in here? Well, I was trying to think about this uh, this week, uh, about all the rich people that I know, and I, it was a very, very short list. <laughs> I couldn't really, I mean, I've known a couple of people that had a lot more money than I had, but I don't know if in the world's eyes they were really be comparative to rich people. So I actually went online to Forbes, and they have the, a list of 500 richest people in the world. And I began to look through that list. And so the top on that list is, is Elon Musk. He's the founder and CEO of Tesla. Also just bought Twitter. Uh, he's worth $191.2 billion as of last week. So a lot similar to your checking account, right? I, I can't even comprehend that kind of that kind of money. I mean, you can put states together and not have that kind of income. The second person in the list was the Bernard Arnott family. 
uh, the CEO and chair of LVHM, which basically is Louis Vuitton. So if you've bought a handbag from there, we need to have a conversation. But beyond that, you've helped this man become worth $179 billion, that's it, billion, say it with me, billion dollars. That's a lot of money. And I don't want to get lost in all of that, but after I look through the whole list of 500 uh, people, I can report to you two things. Number one, I'm not on the list. And number two, I don't know anybody that is on the list. (laughs) Uh, But what I did think about, I kind of summarized it like this. The average rich person, they have more money than most, but not incredibly wealthy. Uh, Most of the rich people I know kind of fit in that category. Then there's the medium rich people. These are the multi-millionaires. And then there's the super rich category. These are the reality TV people that you see. And then there's the incredibly rich, like the Elon Musk and the Bill Gates and all of those that live in the billions that are just super, super, super incredibly rich. To help you understand it, I kind of summarized it like this. The average rich person flies first class. The medium rich charter a jet. The super rich own a jet. And the incredibly rich own an airlines. But Jesus owns the skies. He owns it all. And when the Bible says he was rich, it was speaking about what he had before he left heaven to come to earth. In Hebrews, it says that the whole glory of God radiates from him. In John, it says that he is the glory which was with the Father before the world began. In in John 1 and 3, it says, in him and by him and through him, all things were created. In Colossians, it says that he, Jesus, holds all things together in him. In Hebrews, it says that he upholds all things. In Revelation, it says that he's the ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Then you can go into his titles. You can say he's the alpha, the omega, the desire of all nations, the firstborn of the dead, the master, the light of the world, the bread of life, the water of life, the I am, the door, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, and the life, the chief cornerstone, the captain of our salvation, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven, the author and the finisher of our faith, and the true witness, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. That's our Jesus. That's who he is. And the Bible says that he stepped away from that. And we summarize that as Nora did, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He was rich And he didn't leave heaven searching for more richness. He left heaven not needing a thing, but laying himself down and the deity down to become poor, which is the B. A, he was rich, and B, he became poor. He was rich in eternity, and he he became poor in time. He left heaven for a remote village in a forgotten providence to join a despised race, to be born in this obscure uh, area, 
by a peasant teenage girl in a stable wrapped in rags and placed in a feeding trough instead of a, instead of a crib. That's what he laid down heaven for. This much we know when you look at that passage of scripture, it says that he became poor, not he was made poor. We're made poor. <laughs> Whoa, nobody's shouting there. We're made poor, and we're made poor by circumstances and decisions. But he wasn't made poor, he became poor. And there is a huge difference. He himself of his own free will did something that we could never do. He gave up all of the riches of heaven to wrap himself in human form for you and I. That's the heart of the gospel, that the richest person, if you could summarize it, of his own free will became poor. Theologians call this word the incarnation. In other words, the word became flesh. We read that in John chapter 1, 14, that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. I read that in the message Bible this week. It said it this way, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into my neighborhood. <laughs> That's a trucker's version. In other words, God left heaven and he wrapped himself in human form so that he could know our infirmities and feel our infirmities and then deliver us from those infirmities. He became poor. You know, there's two great stories. I don't know if you've ever read this. They're summaries of the life of Jesus. One is called One Solitary Life. If you've ever read it, I encourage you to do it. One, another one's called The Incomparable Life. And this morning, I've kind of taken some of them out and kind of mingled them together to make a David Crawford summary. So this is a paraphrase. I didn't write this, but I do want to read it this morning. 2,000 years ago, a man was born contrary to the laws of life. He lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He was a child of a peasant woman and worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held public office. He never went to college and never set foot in a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place that he was born. He possessed none of the usual traits that accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. In his infancy, he startled a king. In his childhood, he puzzled doctors. In his manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon billows as if it was pavement, and he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, and he went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves, and while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property that he ever had on this earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down, and he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he arose triumphant over the grave. Jesus chose this way. And we have to ask ourselves, why did he do it? 
He did it because it was the only way that he could save us. It was the only way that he could redeem us from the sin. So when you see Bethlehem and you see a frightened father and an exhausted mother, a dirty stable, a swaddling clothes, you see the deity in diapers, that's Emmanuel, God with us, dwelling with us and among us. And the glorious thing is when he rose the third day, he made us this promise. He said that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us, but he would be with us always, even to the end of this age. That same Jesus that died on the cross and was rose again from the third day, that same spirit that raised him from the dead, the Bible says it dwells in you and I that know him. And that same spirit that dwells in you and I one day will quicken our body and take us to our eternal home. That's the summation of the gospel that we sometimes miss in this story. He was rich, he became poor, so that lastly the sea that we might become rich. See, here's the purpose of Christmas. He that was poor became poor. How many of you understand this terminology? Guilt by association, right? When I was growing up, my mom would walk into the room and whip everybody. Anybody have a mom like that? She didn't want to hear the defense. She didn't want to hear the dialogue. There was no excuse. She's just whipping everybody. And if you happen to be a neighbor kid that was just visiting, you're getting a whooping too. That's just how it was. She's going to walk in the room, and if y'all were doing something wrong, everybody's getting a whipping. That way, she just gave all the justice. I was guilty by association. Now, a lot of times when, you, when she'd come in the room, I'd be on the other side of the room pointing. <laughs> I have no part of this. Come on, somebody help me. I'd still get a whipping. Sometimes my mom would whip me and just for stuff she thought that I might do. That's how, that's the kind of kid I was. I never got a whipping that I didn't deserve, even if one was a prophecy of what might take place in the future. But guilty by association, do you know that's a legal term? Do you know that, that somebody can commit a crime and because your proximity and because the closeness of your relationship, you can go to jail too? Woo! That's why the Bible teaches us to watch out who we hang around. If we hang around angry people, we become angry. It's guilty by association. Now, there's many of you say, oh, I, the reason I'm going there is because I'm trying to influence them. Yeah, how's that working out? I believe the influence usually goes the other way around. But when we think about that concept of guilty by association, think about this, grace by association. In other words... Because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because of my proximity in my because of my proximity in my relationship with him, I walk in grace, in goodness, and blessing. My righteousness is a filthy rags, but because of my association, I put on the righteousness of God. I put on the holiness of God, not because of who I am, but because of the association of the, of the relationship. And even though I may be poor, if you look at my billfold, you may not see the numbers that we talked about before, but I am 
rich. I said, I am rich because my father owns a cattle on a thousand hilltops. In fact, my father, when he walks around on pavement, it's gold. See, I'm rich. Oh, I I understand that when they pull that casket into that hearse, they put my double wide casket in there. They nip and tuck me in there. They take me to the graveyard and they put my tomb in that. I want you to know that I want you, well, I want you to cry for a little bit, but don't cry too long because I'm not there. I don't belong there. Jesus came so that I didn't end there. That's not my end. In fact, that's my beginning. Because Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Taylor's grandpa used to say this all, all the time about something. He'd say, well, don't threaten me with heaven. He was always pointed towards where he was going. Paul said it this way, this world is not my home. We used to sing this, this world's not my home, I'm only passing through. Why do we need to sing songs like that? Why do we need to be reminded? Because it is the summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He became poor so that I could become rich. That's why I walk in God's grace, I walk in God's favor, and no matter what I face. Oh, I wish y'all would hear me preaching this morning. If my tire's flat, glory to God, I got a tire. Hello? No matter if my, my bank account empties out this week, it wouldn't be the first time. Hello? I'm still rich. Because my worth and who I am is not connected to my bank account. My worth and who I am is not connected to my property. My worth and and who I am is not connected by who I know besides Jesus. Nobody on this earth gives me prestige, but I have prestige with the king so that when I call on the father, he hears me because I'm in relationship with the son. I'm rich. I'm rich. And no matter what I find out, they can tell me that I got three months to live. I'm rich. They can tell me I got three weeks to live. I'm still rich. Oh, I understand all the pressures and all the things that we have when we hang on to this life, and I'm not saying that I'm exempt from those things. What I am saying is God give me a perspective of who I am in him and that I walk in that perspective because of my relationship with him. Because he became poor, I'm rich. I'm rich in love. I'm rich in grace. I'm rich in mercy. I'm rich in heaven, and I'm rich on this earth. And we need to learn to count our blessings in this moment and not make it about all of the tinsel and all the stuff that goes on and exchanging all of the stuff that we do. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But may our focus be on who we are in Christ, that he was rich and became poor so that you and I could be rich in grace and mercy.